0: Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, July 29, 2018. My name is James Marino in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His columns appear at MTI, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Welcome back. We're going to talk a little bit about your your travels in in a few minutes. So uh, glad to have you back. Thank also you. with us is Michael Portantier. Michael's a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his his photography work at com. Good morning, Michael. Yes, good morning. Good morning, and welcome back to you as well.
1: Thanks. And I've been uh, traveling, too, not as far as Peter, but
0: (laughs) I have have a travel report as well. Excellent. I'm totally jealous of some of your breakfasts that you had there. Uh (laughs) Posted beautiful pictures on Facebook. (laughs) 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 All right. So let's jump into um, getting caught up on Peter's travels. Peter, you were out at Music Theater Wichita, where you saw Freaky Friday. So tell us, how are the folks doing out there?
2: Uh, spectacular as always. That's their policy. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I love talking to uh, the people who go to music theater in Wichita because they basically get a capacity crowd, which is pretty impressive when there are about 2,200 seats in the theater. But uh, I got there early before a show, and I sat down in the, in the little lounge area, and there was a husband telling me that he, I have never seen a bad show here. Never. Yeah, there are some I like more than others, but I've never seen a bad one here. And I love the civic pride that people have about music theater in Wichita. Uh, Wayne Bryan has really produced miracle after miracle there. And uh, this year he decided to do Freaky Friday, which frankly I thought was a little um – uh, adventurous in the sense that I wasn't sure that adults would tie into this story. You might say, well, of course they will, because it's about adult being a kid and a kid being adult, Mary Rogers' famous book and so many movies that have come. But <clears throat> um, this is a pop rock score, and this audience does tend to be uh, a little older. But no, it wasn't a problem at all. People really took to the story, and they seemed to enjoy the music that uh, Tom Kitt uh, gave them. Uh, Brian La- uh, Yorkie's lyrics are excellent, uh, but the book by... Bridget Carpenter really is something. Now, I did my homework and I read Mary Rogers' book and I watched Hmm. two of the movies um, and all that. And I really think that uh, this Freaky Friday is the best iteration of them all. Um, For one thing, uh, here Catherine is a, a, a caterer and she plans to cater her own wedding reception because that would get her a nice spot on the front cover of wedding magazine so she's very busy and as a result she's neglecting her daughter you know uh, hold that thought now's not the time Uh, she does make time to criticize her of course didn't you wear that yesterday get your hair out of your face all that kind of business but the fact is she is more preoccupied than she's been in the other um iterations of this story so um And I also like the fact that uh, the 2003 movie uh, gave the uh, writers some real good ideas. For example, uh, there was just a quick line that uh, the young girl, now the mother, uh, said very quickly – I'm not myself today, which is very funny, of course, because the whole point is these people aren't themselves today and they have no idea if they're going to be themselves tomorrow. So that became the second act opening number. And that's a great idea for an opening number. And by the way, uh, Brian J. Markham choreographed it wonderfully. So that was good, too. So um, there was also a clever thing where um, in the film, the daughter had, who's the mother now, (laughs) fend off suspicion of their strange behavior by uh, saying that she and her mother were really role-playing. Well, again, Bridget Carpenter ran with this and decided what she was going to do is take them into a school counselor's office. There was an appointment made because Ellie's been cutting classes, the young girl, and so uh, there has to be a a conference with the guidance counselor and the teachers. And the counselor says, well, why don't you do some role-playing? And the audience just Laughed with pleasure because, of course, um, (laughs) they know that the mother is the daughter would be playing the mother and the daughter is the mother. You get the point. So um, it's really a very delightful script. And uh, what's really wonderful, of course, is that um, Wayne gets top-notch talent out there. And he certainly didn't um, stint here because he got Kim Huber. Uh, who's who's a marvelous performer, just marvelous. And um, I wish you could all see the clip of her when she was a child and she was playing Annie and uh, Sandy. Uh, decided not to stay on stage and go into the wings. And uh, come on, Sandy, here we go, Sandy, let's go, Sandy. You know, all this kind of business, and she never broke character. So she's a real pro, and she was really quite wonderful as the mother who uh, became the daughters. Um, and uh, she really found her inner child, if you will. And um, it's really wonderful. Of course, she's, as I say, she's getting married again. Uh, her husband has died, uh, so she's getting married again. And, of course, when the husband goes to kiss her to be goes to kiss her. Of course, he's essentially kissing the, the daughter and she wants to fend him off. She doesn't want any part of him. So uh, Kim, Huber did that very well. A newcomer named Chelsea Lynn Alfredo um, was the uh, daughter who became the mother. And she was really good, especially when her boyfriend said, you know, I like when you pull your hair away from your face. And she said, thank you. You know, because, of course, this is what the mother has been telling the daughter all along. So once again, Music Theater International with marvelous sets, marvelous costume, and They do it in so little time. I think they rehearsed for something like 10 days, and I might even be um, aggrandizing that figure. But, you know, they put it all together, and I guess it does prove that old adage that work takes as long as the time you have to do it. But you have to do it too, and Wayne Bryan and his company always comes through. Just ask the husbands. They'll tell you.
0: So, Peter, you said Music Theater International, but you meant Music Theater Wichita.
2: Oh, did I say that? Yes, Yes. well, here I am. You know, I'm a a company man, and I do right. You are. I was like, does this Freaky
0: Friday an MTI product? I'm not sure. It is, in
2: fact. It is, yes. (laughs) There you are. Charity begins at home.
0: (laughs) And Wayne Bryan, we talked to him a few years ago back on this uh, program. We have to have him back after his summer wraps up and and check in with him. He's such a wonderful person.
2: Thoroughly agree. The only person in show business I never hear a bad thing about. The only one. Sorry, everybody else will point i have not i'm unfamiliar with
1: freaky friday in any incarnation, but I mean I know the basics. I never actually read or seen it but there are it turns out there are three uh film versions yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh there is a person who was in the original film version in nineteen seventy six that i I think we would all yeah <laughs> really give our Yeah. Organs (laughs) to see uh, back on stage in a musical or or in a
2: play. Isn't that true? Yeah. Uh, She was 83 this week. And of course, we're talking about Barbara Harris. So um, she was the first one to play in the movie. You know, I think I even heard there were four movies um, like a TV movie. I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's certainly a story that um, has had legs. And um, Mary Rogers had to be very proud of it during her lifetime that it did so well uh, uh 1976
1: fic- film was the first one with Barbara Harris and Jodie Foster, hey. and uh 1995 TV film, as you mentioned, with Shelley Long and Gabby Hoffman, yes. and then 200- 2003 um, with Heather Hatch and Leslie
2: Dixon. Okay. However, on August 10th, you're actually going to see a movie version of this musical if you tune on the Disney Channel. <laughs> They've actually done a movie of this musical. Heidi Blickenstaff is in it, I believe. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> heard about this. Okay. Yeah, oh, so so. Then,
1: all right. So then you're right. It,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's yeah just... I know. But I, <laughs> I had forgotten the fourth one until you uh, started ticking them off. So uh, thank you for spurring my memory. Sure, sure.
0: Yeah, I've seen all the promos that Heidi's been doing for this uh, coming up. So that's exciting. All mm-hmm. right. Um, Michael, you got yes. over to the Argyle Theater where you saw Hairspray. Uh, I talked about it a few weeks ago. So tell us about Hairspray.
1: Well, the first uh bit of news is that the theater itself is is really quite wonderful and lovely in the town of babylon i had I had previously been through through Babylon many times as far as changing trains, but i never i don 't think i'd ever gotten into the town itself and it 's well, really very
0: Let me interrupt you for a second for those of us who live here yes. it's the village of Babylon. The town oh, of I'm... Babylon is a much much larger. Uh, footprint on, and so what you did you visited the village of Babylon which the people that are in the village take they, they quickly correct you you know it's the uh, boat versus ship argument <laughs> well I do apologize <laughs> I just don't want you to cross anybody because they won't give you the good scones
1: no. <laughs> well this this uh, is further uh, indication about how I never got off but I know it's a major uh, transfer hub for the Long Island Railroad Uh, And so uh, that's what I meant when I when I've been through it, uh, through the station, at least. Uh, But this time we got off and it's a lovely little town. And this theater is um, not is not much less than 100 years old. And it's been beautifully uh, refurbished. And uh, it's now I think it's going to be uh, a major part of the 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 uh, the theatrical life, well, well, the cultural life in, in the area. I certainly hope so. Um, we spoke with the artistic director uh, Evan Pappas a couple of weeks ago, and he, uh, you know, I, I think he has great plans for it. And they have... Um, Really good stuff uh, that they're that they're planning to do, but Hairspray. This is their second show. They, they opened with Guys and Dolls, and now they're, they're doing Hairspray, and it really was a very very strong production across the board um, for a, a company on its uh, second outing. Uh, uh, we were so impressed in terms of the production values and the costuming and uh, the professionalism of the whole the whole event. Um, and then, as I said, that just the, uh, the the casting across the board, because sometimes in uh, productions like this, you might get one or two people, at least, who are not quite up for it. But, um, but this was not the case here. It was really, really, really well done. And th- this uh, father and son team that own uh, and run the theater, Mark and Dylan Perlman, they really are putting uh, – all of their enthusiasm and efforts into it we met Dylan uh the son he was there and we spoke with him and he uh talked about how this has been a dream of long standing that they've put together um and i uh, you know it's it's just so heartwarming to have something like like this open up. They uh, they have uh, coming up Peter and the Star Catcher is in September, October, then Hunchback of Notre Dame, then Spring Awakening, which sounds like such an interesting choice, uh, very different from the other shows. And the producers will be their, uh, uh, their spring show next year. But this one, as I say, uh, it's only actually um, it, it, this particular show has only four um, equity people in it, uh, it's, let's see, Motormouth Maybell is played by Inga Ballard, uh, the dance captain Ashley Gale Munzik, then uh, Wil- Wilbur Turnblad is John Salvatore, and Edna is Jason Simon. Uh, oh, also, um, let's see, uh, the assistant stage manager is Equity, and uh, so it's not a large uh, percentage of the ca- uh, cast and company in this case, but uh, regardless, they were all really just top top notch and the uh venue itself in terms of the, the everything, the sight lines and the way it's been renovated is really wonderful and uh hairspray I think uh was you know was really a a good choice for them. Uh, I, I suppose they're going to accent family friendly shows, but as I said, uh Spring Awakening is in there too, which is uh, very important to be seen by younger people. But I you know it's also very edgy and controversial, so it will be interesting to see how that goes off when it when it happens. Um hairspray, I we discussed recently. Uh, I guess I suppose when we talked with Evan Pappas about how almost everyone I know adores that show, and it had, has such a wonderful message. Um, and aside from the fact that the score is so great and the and the book, um, so I'm really. Glad that I that I made the trip, and it, it's very easy. We didn't even have to change trains, uh, and which you, you probably will not have to change trains unless uh, you uh, don't, uh, you know, if you don't plan it as well as you should. There, there, sometimes you you will have to, but there are lots of direct trains there, and uh, it's it's great to have a new venue to, for me uh, to go to it that's well within reach of the city, and yet you feel like you're out of, you know, the, the central theater district in, in New York and Manhattan. Uh, so I, I wish them all the best. I, I think it was really just terrific.
0: All right, great. So that is running at the Argyle Theater through August 26th. You still have a chance to get out and see that, jump on the Long Island Railroad or uh, head out there. It's just a couple of minutes walk. All right, uh, Peter, the second half of your trip, you uh, went to Omeo, Omayo. Not Cleveland, but Dayton, Ohio, to the Dayton Playhouse where you saw the F- Future Fest. So uh, tell us about Future Fest. I, I did a little bit of research on this because uh, I wasn't sure when you had mentioned you went out to the Future Fest. And I did a quick Google of Future Fest, and I saw an article on Playable by a young Peter Felicia from 1995. So it seems like you've been there a few times.
2: Yeah, uh, this was my thirteenth trip out there in the last uh, twenty-one years, and uh, it really is a sensational thing. And if you, if any playwright is listening, and has a new script, please send it to the Dayton Playhouse because I'm telling you, if they accept it, you will be treated like the king, queen, prince, princess of Romania. They they are so wonderful to playwrights out there. They uh, they are gods. In fact, saying royalty is not enough. You are treated as a god. Uh, they will put on your show either as a staged reading or as a full production, and they will do it for one performance. That means sets, costumes, <clears throat> lighting, memorization of uh, blocking, all that kind of business. A real production. They do all, go to all that trouble for one performance and one performance only for three of the plays. The other three get staged reading. You might say, well, uh, gee, if I got the staged reading, I'd feel shortchanged. Well, the uh, five judges, um, I'm often one of them, as I say, choose a winner. And at this point, more staged readings have been uh, winners than full productions, not by much, but still, my point is that you don't get short-changed. Uh, you, you, don't, you don't lose points by stage reading. Um, in fact, Farragut North, which became the movie The Eyes of March, was actually a winner at this festival. I'm proud to say I was on the committee that chose it because that was the start of Bo Willemong's career. And, you know, he's gone on to do House of Cards and the first. So he's done extraordinarily well. But it all started in Dayton. It's been around for 28 years. Can you imagine that a community theater? That's what this is a community theater. Nobody gets paid. Everybody does it. what I did for love. Can you imagine that when somebody stood up and said, you know, we should do a new play festival. We'll fly out people from New York. We'll put them up in a hotel. We'll uh, we'll get the playwrights out here. We'll put them up in a hotel. We'll fly them out. Um, And how did it happen that People said, yeah, what a great idea. Let's do it. And even if they said, yeah, what a great idea. Let's do it. It would be something that wouldn't be done, except it was done. So there are amazing people out there who are just so devoted to what they do. And um, every playwright comes away saying, I never expected this to happen. I never expected this type of treatment. All right. Maybe Carl Williams didn't say that because he's been there four times. Isn't that amazing that four times he's been uh, selected? Well, in the six plays that are done, I think it's really terrific. So, well, we do choose a winner. And uh, the winner he chose was a play called Of Men in Cars, which was a a very good idea. Uh, Jim Gagan wrote it. Uh, He also wrote the off-Broadway hit of Only Kidding, which was done in the 90s. Ran a long time, more than 500 performances. And this play is about his relationship with his father and how when you get in a car with a person, that's the time when you really do the serious talking, because you're in like a cocoon. Nobody else can hear you. I mean, you go to a restaurant, somebody may overhear you. So there's something about being in car where you really let your true feelings out. And that's a really good idea for a play and he did it extraordinarily well. It was the audience favorite as well. But, however, the other five plays really had great merit. There was one that um, overwhelmed me um, because it dealt with uh, slavery and um, the uh, author, William Kovac, um found out that in Maryland uh, way back uh, when, this is even long before the Civil War, that If indeed you wanted to marry a slave, then you lost all your rights and became a slave too. Now, um, this is a part of history I didn't know. Maybe all of you out there say, of course, yeah, we heard that. But I never heard that at all. And um, so as a result, fetters, which is the name of the play – really pointed out this terrible thing in in, um, American history. So so a lot of good work out there, really terrific stuff. And I thought it was the best um, collection of six plays that I've seen in 13 times I've been out there. But again, uh, the professionalism and all that, so playwrights, Go online, find the Dayton Playhouse. Uh, I think they start accepting scripts August 1st. So if you haven't finished it, get it done by August 1st. No, you have, I think, till Halloween to submit it. But really, do not miss this opportunity. It's an extraordinary one, and uh, it will be a life-altering experience for you. You won't believe uh, what happens out there. So make it happen.
0: All right. So I'm going to finish up here and write a play and submit Uh. it. Good. I'm excited about that. We'll see you out there. I'm writing a play about doing a podcast. That's right. So, uh, <laughs> it's an autobiographical <laughs> It's loosely based on the truth. I see. Uh, all right. So, that is Future Fest at the Dayton Playhouse in Ohio. Uh, we'll have a link to the Future Fest in the show notes so you can read up and get more information on that. Uh, Michael, you got over to uh, the Wings Theater on Staten Island to see The *Little Mermaid*. So, wanted to tell us a little bit—a little bit about that.
1: Yes, it's in the Wings Theater uh, oh, yeah. in, and yes, and in this case, uh, they did a co-production with Snug Harbor Cultural Center at Snug Harbor, which is a destination uh, should be really for anyone, everyone, uh, if just to view these magnificent. 1833 Greek Revival buildings on this beautiful plot of land right near the water in Staten Island. Uh, it uh, over. It used to be a home for quote unquote decrepit sailors, uh, and then that. It closed in that capacity many, many years ago, and over the past several decades it 's been reworked as a cultural center um, there hasn 't always been a lot of money to put towards that but but in more recent years, it seems like they 're really they 're finding the funding and and sprucing up the old buildings. Uh, this production of The Little Mermaid was done in the concert hall, which uh, really is something to see uh, I think it 's Only about 600 seats, uh, but it looks like a lot more when you go in there. Um, And this production is, I I would say, community theater at its highest level. I've talked about seeing shows on Staten Island before uh, and places like that. And what often happens is if you... See a small, relatively small cast show. Uh, you're likely to see something really wonderful because they get the the best people, and um, then they do a really good job. If you have a good director, um, the larger productions tend um, to be more spotty because uh, it's just, you know harder to come up with thirty people who who are all up to it. Since we're talking again about uh, uh, almost in every case, non-professionals, just people who love to do this but do not do it for a living. Uh, but this show, um, directed by Craig Kwasnicki, who's a friend of mine, and choreographed by Tanya Glassman, uh, musical director uh, Michael Pinto, this was a really, really good production of The Little Mermaid, music by Alan Macon, lyrics by Howard Ashman and Glenn Slater, book by Doug Wright. Um, I should mention now, this is the... I guess the revised version of The Little Mermaid, after it was sort of a flop on Broadway, it was reworked to a certain extent. I then saw uh, the reworked version at Paper Mill Playhouse. And there are uh, some noticeable differences, notable differences from the original, including a, a new first song for the character of Ursula. Uh, but I think, uh, I thought from the beginning that this... Uh, in terms of the text and the score, is a very well-done stage adaptation of the original animated movie. Um, Almost all of the new songs are are, uh, at least, uh, well, at least passable, but three or four of them, I think, are really terrific. Um, They were able to beef up the character of Eric, the prince, who does not sing at all in the movie, and he has some wonderful material to sing. Uh, The cast here... um, Ariel, Kristen Dalto, Prince Eric, Kenny Harvey, Ursula, Jenny Kelly, Sebastian, James McKean, King Triton, Jeff Bodnar, and uh, Flounder, Vanessa D'Angelo. This really wonderful. Uh, she was, um, uh, I guess you'd say, gender-blind cast. Uh, Flounder is usually played by a, a young boy, but this Vanessa D'Angelo was absolutely adorable and and great and full of energy on stage. Um, Scuttle uh, was John Heron. And really just so well done overall. Uh, A a great testament to the excellence of this production is that there were um, a number of children in the audience when I saw it. I saw it uh, on a Friday night. And so there weren't... Probably as many children as will be there for the matinees, but there were a number of them, and I have to say, every everyone seemed really wrapped in uh, and uh, full attention on the story, no uh, running around or or talking or anything like that you might fear you might see in a situation like that. Um, so I would, uh, I, you know, I don't, I can't imagine that Snug Harbor is a destination for a lot of people who visit New York or even who live in New York, but it really is worth the trip out there. Um, from the ferry, once you get to Staten Island, it's uh, there are buses that go directly there, and the bus ride is only about 10 minutes. So if you ever find yourself adventurous uh, and thinking you might want to take a trip there, uh, try to coordinate it with a production at Snug Harbor. It it is worth it if only to walk around the beautiful grounds and see those incredible Greek revival buildings. But um, they do, I have seen several wonderful productions there and this production of The Little Mermaid by In the Wings and Snug Harbor is, is a prime example of some of the best work they can do.
0: That's great. Uh, So I have a link to the In the Wings Productions website in the show notes. uh, So you can plan your trip out to see the Little Mermaid, um, which is running through August 5th. So Peter, you Mm -hmm. got to the Atlantic Theatre Company to see the St. No Disco. So tell us about, uh, were you dancing in the aisles? Not that you ever. Did no.
2: That. <laughs> no, no. I, I will admit that that uh, is not uh, who I am. Um, so here's, so here's a musical um, that uh, has some pretty nice people behind it, including Rick Elise, who did, um, who was one of the writers on Jersey Boys, and Stephen Trask, who of course was, um, a work uh, the composer and um, lyricist of Hedwig. So here they are at the Atlantic Theater Company along with uh, another writer uh, Peter Yanowitz um who uh, this is his first off broadway show and they've written a musical about the the well, let's call them glory days of Studio 54. Uh, Most of us feel differently. We're very glad to have Studio 54 as a real Broadway theater. But back in the 70s, (laughs) I remember the crowds because I just lived two streets away from uh, where Studio 54 is. And I used to see all the throngs of people trying to get in, um, buying funny hats at a store next door that was doing awfully well because people would think, oh, maybe if I buy something um, atypical, they'll let me in because getting in was a big deal. And... uh, um, so here we are with this musical and uh, this musical has been uh, quite controversial, a lot of people think that it's really uh, terrible, um, I didn't um, it, 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 it's not a show for me, God knows and uh, if there were a cast album, uh, The Shrink rap would stay on it, but um, I think they did what they set out to do and I think it's um, a and show and of course when you when you have uh, Darko Trezniak as your director, you, you're going to be in good shape because of course he's a of a very fine director. He's done wonderful work out uh, in Connecticut and uh, certainly with Anastasia on Broadway. So, um, but here you are with Steve Rubel, who I never knew, um, was such a, um, what's the word? What's the euphemism I'm looking for? Well, let's say, um, uh, I'm sorry, Screaming Queen. I mean, uh, and I was talking to people and they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's who Steve Rubell Wells because I really thought that Theo Stockman playing the role was way over the top. But I'm told that it really is a very apt characterization. Now, also on stages, Will Connolly playing the artist there must be a reason why they're not saying Andy Warhol. I don't know if it's a legal thing, but uh, since we have that famous white wig, um, there he is playing um, (laughs) Andy Warhol, like it or not. So uh, the real story though, that they're getting to, um, is that, um, there is a singer, um, named Sammy, um, but that's a woman. Um, and, um, Samantha Marie Ware plays her and, um, She is really trying very hard to become a star It's all that type of story And um, she does But of course the Drugs come into play So you know what's going to happen there The story does take a turn that you might not expect it to As time goes on She's also a mother Uh, which makes the story uh, have a little more poignancy than it might. You do have the um, people who are interviewing. You have a woman named Binky, who uh, Chalina Kennedy plays her, and um, she's always interviewing. So it's loud. It's garish. Um, The set is very ornate. They spent a lot on this, a lot on this. So uh, all I can say is if you have nostalgic feelings for Studio 54, it might take you back to those days. I found it. Astonishingly (laughs) competent um, For what it wanted to do So um, I found Sitting there for the long Two hours and twenty minutes Which might seem long for a show like this um, I found it quite agreeable uh, If not sensational So um, I my my expression usually is sit-throughable and that's what I'll say here again I do find it sit-throughable I know they'll never use this quotation on the side of the theater but nevertheless <laughs> um, I do feel that um, it doesn't deserve to be pummeled the way it has been So, uh, and I do think it will bring a lot of people a lot of pleasure so um, good luck to it I haven't seen the show yet but I uh,
1: remember that I think we said a while ago that um, wouldn't it be amazing if they did a show about Studio 54 at Studio 54?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which,
1: which of course, is now very, very much uh, and has been for for years now a a very vital theatrical venue as owned and run by the Roundabout Theater. I I think um, it sounds like it could be a million – a multi-million-dollar idea, if it was ever done right. Uh, but I, I guess also it it is easy to go wrong with uh, with something based on that time, because it's it, I, I imagine it's quite difficult to get the get the uh, tone right and the and the sense of that incredible world, uh, that nightlife world. There was a, a 1998 movie called Fifty Four, which uh, I overall I think got. Horrible reviews and uh, is not that well remembered by most people. Um, there is a documentary that came out earlier this year, I believe, and and um, maybe that's uh, the best way to go in trying to uh, cover – trying to express to modern audiences what it was like to be there. I I was never. um, Did you did you ever actually get there, Peter?
2: Yes, I did. I don't remember the circumstances, but I remember being in the uh, balcony watching everybody down below uh, having a wonderful time. Uh, dancing to uh, the music, and um, and I thought, you know, I'm going to go home and write. I didn't. You, <laughs> <it's> just, <laughs> so, <clears throat> I also should mention that Peter LaPrade—I I hope that's how it's pronounced—plays Chad, a young gay man um, who uh, decides maybe it's better for him if he doesn't uh, continue being gay, and he decides to get married. And there's a scene not unlike, not unlike the marvelous one in the Paul Rudnick movie In and Out, uh, but something happens with the set that um is very clever so uh again you know there there is worth in this show i don't care what anybody says
0: <laughs> uh so you don't think they'll use that quote either
2: no 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 I suppose <laughs> probably not, not. But...
0: okay all right uh next up so that was just the same this ain't no disco at the atlantic theater company running through august 12th uh both Michael and Peter got over to the theater at St. Clements to see my life on a diet. The Renee Taylor, uh, play. Uh, I almost said musical. It's not a musical. Is it? Nope. No, nope. it's a play. So, uh, Michael, why don't you start off with my life on a diet? This is a
1: really delightful, uh, one woman show. Although I guess to all intents and purposes, it should be considered a two person show. Uh, the star is Renee Taylor, Uh, But the play was written by her and her longtime, uh, not not long deceased husband, Joseph Bologna. They were a writing and performing team for decades, and uh, they're responsible for such things as lovers and other strangers. Uh, Renee Taylor is perhaps most famous to many people as the title character's mother on the TV show, the nanny. Uh, she went into that. I think it was originally planned to be, um, maybe uh, one or two episodes. She wound up, the audience loved her so much that she, um, she wound up being in it for years. And she is very, very charming and funny and, uh, narrating the, uh, her Life on a, on a Diet, which is a, the, the, also the title of a book uh, memoir that she wrote many years ago. Uh, it seems like she was very, very much in love with her husband and misses him greatly. But this is about their work together. It, it doesn't actually deal with his death. Um, it's just about the many collaborations they had in, in uh, uh, life theater and television and film She is quite a character, Renee, and uh, this production was directed by Joe Bologna, who, as I said, is recently deceased, uh, not that long ago. Uh, I'm glad that she came to do the show here in New York. Uh, She's been doing it elsewhere, uh, including on the West Coast. Um, But she has brought it to St. Clement's, and it's uh, really – it's got copious – footage clips and, and and still photos from both of their careers and i i think you'll find it both extremely funny and very very touching uh especially when she s- talks about how they initially met which is a wonderful story and and how uh maybe it looked like they were not going to be together but then they were and for 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 many many years um so i i would i would head down to the theater at Saint Clements, if you can, and and catch Renee Taylor because um, she she's a one of a kind, and this is uh, the kind of show that uh, is a you know a model example of of its genre genre. I uh, you should know um, Renee broke her, her foot not long ago, so she uh, this not a lot of movement in this. She comes out, she walks out, and then she sits at a desk and and talks basically for an hour and a half and shows clips and uh, regales the audience. Uh, She also does use, uh, for what it's worth, a uh, – there's, I think, a laptop on the desk that's somewhat disguised. But she does refer to that occasionally, and it's certainly understandable considering uh, her age and the amount of material that she's going through. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I definitely think it's worth the trip.
0: There's a lot of breaking feet going around Broadway these days. Uh, Jim Parsons oh. <laughs> and the boys in the band. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. The, oh. Uh, the woman who's in Once in this Island, her name escapes me right now. Uh, Haley. Haley, uh, Haley uh, Kilgore. Bro- broke, yeah. his foot, broke her foot as well. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot going around there. We have mm. to be cognizant of this. So, Peter, you also saw it. So what did you think of, uh, of the show?
2: Well, um last night I saw it and she had um some sort of uh cast type thing on her arm. Oh. So um I Her I, arm? Yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, on her right arm. Um so uh I I don't know if she injured herself yet again, um, but but nevertheless. Okay, Um, yeah, I thought the show was extraordinarily funny. Um, I probably laughed harder at this show and longer at this show and more often at this show than I have in all the comedies of this new century. So it really is astonishingly funny. That said, you do have to realize that this is a woman who will be referring to her laptop quite a bit during the show quite a bit so don't expect a truly 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 polished performance now again she might have been off last night maybe this injury just happened yesterday i don't know but um you will laugh a good deal a good deal uh, well, at least you will if you have my sensibility um i can't say for sure but the anecdotes uh, from a career and um and the clips are really quite wonderful. The clips themselves are hilarious um, much of the time because many of the clips refer to the diets that she has either tried or heard about or invented, frankly, I imagine. And, and they're very funny as well. I was a little surprised that we didn't see the clip of her in the movie of the producers yeah. because she, um, she plays Ava Braun in that movie. And um, I thought for sure we'd see that since there are so many clips of uh, her and the Dinah Shore show and uh, clips from her early movies films that i never heard of did you michael any of those <laughs> they no. have such they have no. such lurid titles too uh, so so anyway <clears throat> the script the play's the thing yeah uh, more than the performance uh so keep that in mind uh and uh let's hope that um renee taylor's worst days are behind her as as a performer in this show, that I happen to see a performance where she just uh, either was tired, wasn't up to it, or injured, so it's not polished, but um, still going. Yeah, anyway.
1: yeah. I mean, uh, thanks for for uh, clarifying that. I uh, I was a little surprised because she, as I say, she's been doing this for quite some time, but I understand that she uh, still. Making changes, so in that sense, ah. it's you know, it, you know, it's admirable ah. that she is, okay. I guess, yep. Yep. as to what's working and what isn't. Um, but she, uh, and then I think, yeah, uh, you know, I mean, maybe being injured kind of shook her up a little bit. Uh, maybe that's uh, part of it. Uh, I I was a little surprised at you at the the amount of time spending referring to the uh, to the laptop, but. But as you said, it doesn't affect her delivery. Uh, I guess just maybe the eye contact at it's, it's, it's some points. And I, I am really glad that she did it here. Because, yeah, yeah. me um, yeah. too.
0: All right. So that is uh, also going to be uh, playing through August 5th, I believe. No, My Life on a Diet. August 19th. So you have a chance to get down to Theatre St. Clements to check out My Life on a Diet with Renee Taylor. Um, the other day I got a chance to uh, see On a Clear Day You Can See Forever Michael and Peter already, already uh, spoke about it and actually Jan Simpson also, also spoke about it so let me just uh, weigh in here by saying that uh, I really enjoyed this production and I didn't seem to have issues with uh, Melissa Errico or uh, anybody else that is uh, in it Steve McGardis is now in uh, in the role through August 8th uh, and he is departing the production to go do something else but the production was extended to September 6th so uh, Ben Davis is going to be taken over so uh, I really uh, enjoyed this production I love the small intimate feeling of the Irish reps uh, of theatre and um, and this is a, a well staged and the best part about it was was uh, uh, one of the best parts about it was, was being able to hear the actors without amplification. It's such a great little space there uh, for a small, intimate show. Uh, and so if you get a chance, go out, and it's been extended and doing well. It's going through September 6th. So, Peter, you got a chance to the, go down to the Playroom Theater where you saw Tevia served raw. What <laughs> is
2: this? <laughs> There's even a subtitle, Garnished with Jews. All right. Now, um, so Tevi is really having a good year, isn't he? Because, of course, down at um, down at Battery Park, you can see Fiddler on the Oof in Yiddish, which I've already endorsed heartily and uh, will again. But uh, here we are, uh, uptown on 46th Street, in a tiny space called The Playroom, which is actually in an office building. So uh, you won't see much of a marquee outside. But uh, once you get to the eighth floor, I think it's the eighth floor, you will um, be able to go into this tiny, tiny theater, which probably has about 50, 60 seats, and watch um, three performers do extraordinarily well by – speaking in Yiddish Um, (laughs) uh, Alan uh, Lewis Rickman whose name is Alice Lewis Rickman because of course there was an actor named Alan Rickman who uh, who was quite popular Uh, Alan by the way in Tebbia spells his name A-L-L-E-N still um, he added the Lewis so there'd be no mistaking uh, who was uh, performing Uh, is a big fan of Yiddish theater and he's the one who really put this together and under the circumstances you're not surprised that somebody with the last name of Rickman is doing awfully well by this Um, you wouldn't be surprised that a woman named Yelena Schmullins Uh, would be um, adept at uh, speaking Yiddish as well. But uh, Shane, he's an Episcopalian, in fact, but uh, he has a real... uh uh, affinity for the Yiddish language and uh, does it very well. So much of the show is actually Yiddish with supertitles, and what you have here are, are many of the Shalom Aleichem stories that you either know from Fiddler on the Roof, but it's more authentic to what Shalom Aleichem had written. As the, the the main one is the one between Kava and Tavia. Now Kava, you may recall, is the one who uh, ran off with of a uh, gentile, which um, certainly brought no pleasure to the family. But um, this this is a deep version of it i'm not going to say how because i want you to go see it and it's there till august 14th but it's uh you'll see that's the value of it you see the differences between uh what happened in fiddler and what happens here and um the, the differences are small and yet very weighty so so that's really uh, very very fine um, I think that uh, there's a skit called Strange Jews on a Train, and um, <laughs> that's where um, Mr. Baker and Ms. Shmulinson, uh are, are, are literally on a train. And uh, it's not like Hitchcock Strangers on a Train. They just gossip you know, about what's going on in there uh, where they live. And um, so there's Alan Rickman, uh, Alan Lewis Rickman, in between them. He stands between them, and he just uh, translates what they're actually saying. And <laughs> I'll tell you, their, their observations are just so wonderful. And uh, you'll relate to some of them, and you won't relate to some of them at all, but uh, both of them will bring you a good deal of pleasure. So um, there's also uh, a wonderful story about uh, a, a guy who really believes he's going to become a, 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 a overnight millionaire. So, uh, again, uh, we have Alan Lewis Rickman translating is what's going on here. But uh, it's a whole bunch of letters that he sends out. And here's a guy who really, really believes in himself. And uh, we believe less and less of him as the, the, the um, letters go on. So, A Charming Evening. Not a long evening, uh, less than 90 minutes, no intermission, but really charming. And uh, Alan Lewis Rickman is an actor I've admired for a long time. I saw him a lot uh, when I was reviewing in Jersey, and um, he gave tremendous performances here, there, and everywhere around the state. And I'm very glad to have him here in New York uh, and doing such exemplary work.
0: Okay. Just as uh, Peter mentioned before, he gave a review of the uh, Folks' Bene. Bene? Bene? Bena.
2: Bene. Doesn't look it. Folks, bene.
0: Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. And Michael, you got a chance to see this, and it's uh, become a very popular hot ticket. So tell us, uh, how was the show down at the Museum of Jewish Heritage?
1: Oh, well, it's every ounce of popularity is deserved. And thank you both for attempting to pronounce that, that word, because I've heard... (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> different people insist on different pronunciations so I, I will uh, leave it to the experts um, this is uh, uh, I cannot say enough to add to Peter's superlatives this is you know you you, you see things and you want to try to communicate exactly how wonderful they are and uh, but you don't want to do that you don't want to say too often that this is one of the greatest things you've ever seen in your life, because then I, I guess that becomes less potent. But I, I have to tell you, in all honesty, this fits that category. This amazing production, directed by Joel Gray, musical staging, choreography by Stas Kneek, uh, at the National Yiddish Theater, uh, Volksbina, or what, Bena, whatever, production at the uh, Museum of Jew- Jewish Heritage. Down at Battery Park, Um, uh, using a Yiddish translation that I believe dates from 1965, uh, translation by Shraga Friedman, I had, uh, and I think I may still have copied onto a cassette, uh, the original Yiddish cast recording from that era. Uh, I am hearing... That some rumors, I hope they're true, that this current production may be recorded, and I hope that's true. It would it would be even better if the, there's a video version of it because it's just – the authenticity of it is so overwhelming. And having the cast speak in Yiddish with with uh, supertitles uh, on either side of the stage, it just adds um, – a whole nother level to the drama and the humor of the show, both of which are abundant. Uh, I think that, no, of course, none of that would matter if the direction and the cast were were not so incredibly top notch, but they they absolutely are, and I think that Steven Skybell and the rest of the company, uh, Steven Skybell is Tevya, the rest of the company, uh, to to a man and a woman are perfect for their roles. Uh, the production is very simple, but. I think all the more effective for that reason. Scenic design by Beowulf Wilf Borat, costume designed by Anne Huld Ward, lighting designed by Peter Kazarowski, sound designed by Dan Moses Schreier. So this is an A-list team we're talking about. Uh, I think they they really put the effort and the money into this production. Uh, the National Yiddish Theater did, and uh, it uh, it's built an uh, original New York, New York Stage production, directed and choreo- choreographed by Jerome Robbins. Um, uh, adapted here, I would say, not not thrown out, but there are some of the traditional elements that you we all know and love from the Robbins staging, uh, but here um, adapted to some extent by Stasuke. I um, I am getting uh, old and jaded. I think I cried three Mm. times during this production. Mm. The first time was at the end of act one where the joyous, joyous wedding celebration of Seidel and uh, Muddle is interrupted by a, a, a pogrom when the, Russians come in and break up the the uh, celebration because they're trying to get the Jews out uh, of the area. And that is, of course, what happens at, at the end of the show. And I, ha- I have never uh, seen that moment be more effective and, and more devastating. Uh, you could just... Uh, sense the audience's response to it. It was, it was absolutely beautiful. Um, the second time I cried was when, uh, in the far from the home, I love sequence where, uh, Huddle goes off to be with Perchik, who has been banished to Siberia, and Tevya says goodbye to her at the train station and she sings this unbelievably beautiful Bach and Harnick song. Um, and then the, the third time was at the end where the villagers uh, take leave of each other and Anatevka on their way to various places. Some of them are coming to America, uh, some are going to Jerusalem. They, uh, regardless, they have to get out. They're being thrown out of their homes just because of their religion basically uh and the the these uh, you know all of these divisions that people create uh to hate other people who are not exactly like them um there is is a masterwork. This is the best production of it that I've ever seen. Uh, granted, the last two Broadway ones to me were 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 seriously seriously flawed. Um, I saw one uh, years earlier uh, on Broadway. Uh, it was a Broadway a revival with Herschel Bernardi, and I think that was at City Center. That that was the previous best one I had seen, but that one suffered from being in a too large a space. This one had everything going for it, the intimacy of the space, the uh, amazing excellence of the cast and the direction and the staging. Uh, and it seemed like I had the feeling that I will never, ever see it done better or even as well as this production it has been extended if there's any way you can get down there um and get a ticket i would advise you to do so it um they uh, getting in is made a little more difficult by the fact that it's not a full week of performances every week so make sure you check their calendar and and see they have to avoid performing on the Sabbath uh, for one thing and and so that makes it uh, more challenging but it's it, it's so 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 worth it i I, I when Peter uh, uh, praised it to the extent that he did. I thought, mm, this this sounds like I, I've got to get there. And and I completely agree with everything he said. It was it's really a theatrical miracle. There's the song "Miracle of Miracles" in the show, and I think that that could certainly be used and could be used as a, as a plug
2: for this production yeah the thing is uh so many people i've talked to say you know i 've seen fiddler i don't need to see it again you know and and I understand that point of view totally uh <laughs> but this is just such a dual version um that it it demands to be seen so uh so if if you 've been casual about it um don't be so casual
0: that's what everybody's saying, and this is why there must be something uh, to it uh, there must be something to it uh so that's
1: Broadway's pretty Broadway's is pretty quiet right now, although we've just had or um, uh, about to have a couple of openings. But this is a perfect time um, to get to off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway and other venues. Um, because one of the other uh, most recent hits is Carmen Jones mm. down at, uh, you know, down at CSC. Uh, so, yeah, th- this is a good time when you think, oh, you know, well, maybe um, – and, you know, we, you know, people try to get away during the summer. and But, you know, you're going to be in town during the week probably. <laughs> um, this is one to catch during the week.
2: Well, the other thing, too, is our uh, faithful listener Debbie Schrager wanted oh. to go see Carmen Jones. And uh, she had a real tough time getting a ticket. Luckily, she did get in and she thought it was the sun and the moon. So that was really good. So the point is it is doing business down there. So uh, if you do want to get a ticket, plan ahead.
1: Yeah. Yes, I met up with Debbie last night after she saw the show. She, she was very lucky to get a rush ticket. She was absolutely thrilled.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, uh, Fiddler hard to get, Classic Stage Company uh, also a hard ticket to get, but the uh, the Go Go's musical not so hard to get yeah. right now. So,
2: and... um, if you you may recall earlier in the week, you may have heard that so many. Planes were um, not flying into LaGuardia or maybe even the other two airports. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I had to drive back from Dayton. (laughs) The planes just weren't flying. So I drove uh, 12 hours. I left at 11.24 a.m. and I arrived in my apartment at 11.25 p.m. So it was quite a day. Uh, With three other wonderful judges, we had a good time driving. But my point is I missed Head Over Heels, which I was supposed to see on Tuesday night, because Mm. by that point I was somewhere in West Virginia.
0: So, are you going to reschedule Head Over Heels? So I'm seeing it next sure. week. Sure,
2: sure, yeah. of course. I'm, I'm right. seeing it. I'm seeing it this Wednesday, so we can all
0: we we'll all talk about share. it. Share,
2: <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm on my am on my way down to Washington to see the new musical Dave, which I have high hopes for because I love the movies. So um, I'm I'm going to be a little busy this week, but I do I will try to fit in uh, Head Over Heels.
0: Um, uh, so let's wrap up the morning with, uh, Michael, you got over to Birdland in the, uh, what is reported to be the new beautiful theater, but you tell us, uh, to see Lucy Arnaz and Marilyn May. So tell us about them. Yeah,
1: it's a great and very necessary addition to the, uh, Cabaret nightspot world in in New York because we uh, those things those places come and go. Uh, we lost the Metropolitan Room not long ago, uh, so this is a wonderful space beneath the the Birdland that has been there for years, and um, I think it's going to be really wonderful. It gives them more of an opportunity uh, for. Uh, more theater-related uh, shows and music. The Birdland is famous as a jazz club, and they have, um, you know, f- for for the past several years now, uh, they have had Monday nights devoted, pretty much to to uh, theater-type performers doing shows there, and that and also Jim Caruso's cast party every Monday night, which is a fabulous open mic event. But um, the re- the rest of the nights of the week at Birdland are are still devoted to jazz. So now they have this really really wonderful new room below uh, that can ha- focus more on theater, uh, musical theater type uh, artists and, and and wonderful programming like that. Um, the first bit of good news is that the the room itself is wonderful. It's more square than rectangular. Uh, it's different from many cabaret rooms in that. Uh, since some of them are are, are, uh, are really wonderful but they can be a bit of a challenge to the performer in terms of having to play uh, to the sides uh, in a in a long rectangular room in addition to the people in front and in fact the upstairs uh, birdland space is one venue that fits that description there there are several others uh the oak room at the algonquin which is n- no longer a uh a cabaret space far night as i know was always very notorious for being bad in that way but no this is more square uh, and it is very roomy uh i suppose maybe it depends on how booked they are for a particular show but you don't feel like you're sitting right on top of the people at the table next to you uh there are tables it is a table uh set up uh, with uh, some lower and then high top tables. And then there's a bar area at the rear and the sight lines are excellent. Uh, state of the art in terms of, uh, I would say, sound and lighting. We spoke with um, Lucy Arnaz um, A couple of weeks ago, and she uh, was—I guess—the the the first official show in the space, and I got to see that show called "I Got the Job." uh, Lucy Arnaz with Ron Abel as her musical director at the piano on Wednesday, July 18th, and it—that was really fantastic because as as our listeners know if if you caught the podcast with Lucy, she is delightful in terms of patter and memories and stories, in addition to uh, her wonderful singing. Uh, and acting and she gave us little nuggets from shows that she has done over the years, uh, both on Broadway and elsewhere. Uh, of course she, uh, sampled, their playing our song, which was her, her big Broadway hit. But then, uh, she went into dirty, rotten scoundrels. She sang from that, Uh Pippin, uh, another show in which she replaced seesaw, which she did on tour. And she even, um, went as far back as high school. She talked about how she never got the lead in her high school shows because she was, uh, Well, she wasn't a soprano, and she had more of a a character, personality, and voice. Uh, And and so, in fact, when she did uh, Oklahoma in high school, her role was not Laurie. It was Ado Annie. But she took this opportunity uh, to sing one of Laurie's songs, (laughs) Out of My Dreams, in a beautiful arrangement by Ron Abel. Um, It was a delightful, delightful show. And... uh, then I got to see Marilyn May, who is is just a phenomenon at age 90. She's been performing up a storm in New York and elsewhere. Uh, she, uh, I saw her there on, uh, let's see, what was the date? Let me just check here. Uh, on the 25th. And she uh, is, is still, she's coming back. She's going to be there J- July 31st through August 4th at the Birdland Theater. Uh, and then uh you know she is just a, a phenomenon uh the energy and the and the f- full command of of her talents at at age 90 it's it's really in, indescribable it's it's just something to see I I, I I you you just don't see people at at that age giving such incredible polished full out performances and she, <laughs> uh, still switching it up. She, she rarely does. Uh, I mean, well, there are numbers that she's famous for and that you can count on her singing, uh, Uh, Often, But she's still doing new material, which is kind of amazing. Um, There's still – the Spurland Theater is so new that they're still finding bookings for it. But upcoming uh, is something that you might want to put on your calendar. Daniel Reichardt of Jersey Boys and and other fame will be there August 23rd through the 25th. And the last bit of really good news about – Ber- the Birdland Theater is like the upstairs venue. It has a relatively low cover charge compared to other rooms. Uh, it does vary according to the artist, but, uh, but still I would say relatively low. And the food and drink minimum is only $10, which is – much lower than some other places so um yeah this is a welcome 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 addition and uh keep your eye on the calendar just go to the website and see who they have coming up uh but i would highly recommend daniel reichard if you can get to see him because he's amazing
0: yeah so that's uh awesome glad to hear we have an, an a new upgraded venue it's not so much a new venue as much as a uh uh, an, uh, an upgraded space, and uh, so that's exciting.
1: And the Marilyn May show that I saw was with the Ted Firth trio, and he's he's fantastic. But the show's coming up, uh, at least some of them, she's going to be with Billy Stritch at the piano. So... Uh, so you you know you uh, you may have missed her with Tedford, but Billy Stritch, uh, you know, is the the top echelon of of musical director pianists. So uh, if you can get there on the thirty first or uh, thereafter, that would be a wonderful wonderful thing.
0: All right. before we wrap up for the day, I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com There's a subscribe link. That way each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us in many ways. One of the ways is iHeartRadio plays us, TuneIn plays us, Stitcher plays us, Google Play plays us, anywhere that you can listen to. Find our podcast, you're going to be able to find Broadway Radios This Week on Broadway. Contact information for Peter from michael and for me can be found at the show notes as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today so uh peter do we have an answer to last week's trivia uh
2: yes what song not show mind you but song from a 60s musical that got unanimous raves but lost the tony became a children's picture book well the answer is what's new at the zoo hmm. which was a song from the 1960 musical Do Re Mi <clears throat> it had uh, it it took place at the zoo and uh, it had lyrics like eek You're Stepping on My Beak. What it was supposed to be was a parody of a a, a rock novelty song. But uh, Phyllis Newman had the idea of turning it into a a children's book, and so she wrote the foreword. And a marvelous illustrator named Travis Foster did the uh, colorful drawings. So it's worth getting for your kid. It's recommended from ages four to eight. So uh, think about getting it Mm -hmm. for your kids, children, grandchildren, uh, neighbors, whatever. John Moss was the only one to get it, but he also pointed out this was not the first Compton and Green children's book. They also did one called I Say Good Morning, uh, based on the song that always used to open their act. So that's last week's question. This week, what do these Tony-winning musicals all have in common? Hamilton, In the Heights, Rent, Sunset Boulevard, Jerome Robbins' Broadway, The Phantom of the Opera, Les Miserables, Cats, Avita, Sweeney Todd, Ain't Misbehaving, and Two Gentlemen of Verona.
0: Hmm. Up until the end, I was going to say they've all had million dollar gross weeks. <laughs> 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 all right. So if you have uh, thoughts on that or an answer, email us at tributebroadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway videos this week on Broadway.
2: Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks.
0: So again, you know the alphabet starts with S. Look it up.